where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! Ha <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. Our weekend review is full of varied and important stories regarding social and political life in Canada. It highlights that our country is clearly run by negligent tyrants that are both lawless and unscientific, but it makes for great news analysis. Matt and I got to interview Francis Pouliot, founder and CEO of Bull Bitcoin, a freedom-minded Canadian Bitcoin exchange. We discussed why he started the company and why they are a great fit to partner with us at the Liberty Coalition Canada, in part because we like people that despise state tyranny and corruption. And finally, we'll give you an update regarding the public inquiry into the invoking of the Emergencies Act, or its true hideous face, the War Measures Act 2.0. Spoiler alert, the legacy media, elected officials, unelected health bureaucrats, and Ottawa snowflake citizens were all for it, while reasonable Canadians including homeschooling moms and people who like bouncy castles, are not. It's October 18th. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. That's Matt Halleck. And this is the Liberty Dispatch. Welcome to the Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. Thanks once again for joining us in this new week. As always, please interact with our content. Comment, like, write, subscribe, review, whatever you must do. It all helps us get our content out to more people. We are also on the FLF Network, the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, which you can check out at flfnetwork.com. And you can also get us on a nifty FLF network app which you can find at your google play or apple app stores and you can get all our content on demand for our various shows on that app also go over to our website libertycoalitioncanada.com to get all things liberty coalition canada to see what we're doing when it comes to news and commentary legal advocacy and also our various initiatives that we are doing over there as well, which includes Christians that care. And that's really important as we enter into this season of municipal elections across this country. So we really appreciate you all tuning in and all supporting, but go over there. If you would, we would suggest that you leave a donation. It helps us build this institution and helps us push back against the prevailing legacy media narrative, which must be destroyed and it must be destroyed forthwith so we must do it <laughs> together if we're going to stand up against that behemoth and also finally leave us comments questions concerns info at libertycoalitioncanada.com and also today we want to ask you our listeners a question the question for today and you can comment below is what are your thoughts on this inquiry into the 
invocation of the Emergencies Measure Act. We want to hear from you, so please let us know your thoughts down below as well. I got to tell you, Matt, that's a the word invocation is a proper word to use because as we're going to see later in the show, that the powers that be are very superstitious and are pulling stuff quite literally out of thin air, hoping that they can cast some sort of spell over Canadians. So invocation is the right word. And as we think about that, and as we think about the rest of mm. our show, I want to ask our audience a question. And it's a rhetorical question, otherwise they wouldn't be watching. But I'll ask it nonetheless. Are you tired of having leftism rammed down your throat everywhere you turn? Are you frustrated by businesses you support giving money to leftist causes? Why are you buying coffee from companies that hate you and your freedoms? Well, Resistance Coffee Company is here for you and for us, by the way. Liberal Tears today. Is that what you're drinking as well, Matt? I am also mm. drinking a cup of Liberal Tears in my defund the CBC mug. So oh, man, later I'm decked out with resistance. Later in the show, the later on. in the show, we're gonna be we're gonna be hearing about buckets of of liberal tears liberal during the tears, inquiry. Yeah. Oh, just beautiful. Well, now friends. You can enjoy the wonderful taste of fresh roasted coffee with the knowledge that your money isn't funding the leftist causes that you despise. In fact, Resistance Coffee gives 10% of every purchase to organizations that are fighting for the constitutional freedoms of Canadians. Resistance Coffee roasts specialty-grade coffee beans, which means you're getting high-end coffee that is roasted fresh for you. Be done with stale grocery store coffee, support Canadian freedoms, and our friends at Resistance Coffee have just announced that if you go to resistancecoffee.com slash LCC, you have to put in that slash LCC, you will get 10% off your purchase. That's right. So friends who are buying coffee from companies that hate them, and even people who would go to Resistance Coffee and simply buy their coffee, which is tremendous, alone, will not be saving in the 10%. So again, that is resistancecoffee.com slash LCC so they know that we sent you, and you get 10% off your entire purchase of coffee, mugs, merch, all the good swag. Go there today, resistancecoffee.com slash LCC and join the resistance today. Well, Andrew, as we are wont to do, when we get back at it in a new week, we want to look at the various stories that have come out uh, in the week that has passed, and we do that in a segment called The Week in Review. First up, Andrew, uh, Alberta's new premier, Daniel Smith. Such high hopes for her. Such high hopes. Uh, she sparked controversy in uh, a presser that she had the other day um, when she made comments about the discrimination of those who chose not to get the experimental gene therapy. And it sounded like this. Um, I have a question about vaccine choice and how you want to protect that under the Human Rights Act. I'm wondering how um, vaccine choice, um, how you see that is equal to something like race, gender, sexuality, which we protect because those are not about choices. Well, 
Well, I guess the way I look at it is that the community that faced the most restrictions on their freedoms in the last year were those who made a choice not to be vaccinated. I don't think I've ever experienced a situation in my lifetime where a person was fired from their job or not allowed to watch their kids play hockey or not allowed to go visit a loved one in long-term care or hospital or not allowed to go get on a plane to either go across the country to see family or even travel across the border. So they have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. That's a pretty extreme level of discrimination that we have seen. I don't take away any of the discrimination that I've seen in those other groups that you mentioned, but this has been an extraordinary time in the last uh, year in particular. And I want people to know that I find that unacceptable, that we are not going to create a segregated society on the basis of a, of a medical choice. So upon making those comments, Andrew, there was quite a lot of backlash, not only in the legacy media, but also in social media and on various platforms. So to clarify, those are her words, Danielle Smith issued a statement on Twitter. Yeah, Matt, and I want to I want to read for our audience a, a little snippet from the release from just a few days ago. It goes like this. Please, oh please, don't cancel me. I didn't really mean what I said, but I did mean what I said, but I really didn't mean what I said. I want to be an ally. I want to get voted in again. Please, oh please, woke behemoth mob, don't consume me or devour me. Sincerely yours, flaky conservative premier. Please don't cancel me. I love you. Please don't cancel me. Close quote. That was that was the statement. <laughs> Sincerely, Danielle yeah. Smith. We actually have the statement, so I will read it. But uh, that is more or less what 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 it amounts to, Andrew. So the statement reads as follows: Yesterday, I made comments regarding the discrimination unvaccinated individuals have suffered through over during the past two years. My intention was to underline the mistreatment of individuals who chose not to be vaccinated and were punished by not being able to work, travel, or in some cases, see loved ones. I want to be clear that I do not, it did not intend to trivialize in any way the discrimination faced by minority communities and other persecuted groups, both here in Canada and around the world, or to create any false equivalencies to the terrible historical discrimination and persecution suffered by so many minority groups over the last decades and centuries. We need to actively work together as Albertans and Canadians to end all discrimination against all minority communities. I am committed to listening, learning, and addressing the issues affecting minority communities communities. Over the next few days, my office will be reaching out to set up meetings with minority community stakeholders so I can better understand the different concerns of their individual uh, communities. Sincerely, Danielle Smith, Premier Danielle Yeah, that's Smith. what I said. That's so, just a longer version of what I said. That's, exactly. a, that's a politician uh, spin on what I said. <laughs> Absolutely. Yours, yours was at, had the, had the benefit of being shorter and more honest. So, uh, anyways, that wraps our first story. To our next story, Andrew, and this one's pretty incredible. 
the armed forces of Canada, the Canadian armed forces, the CAF, will continue to discharge unvaccinated service members despite the end of their mandatory vaccine policy as of October 14th, 2022. As exclusively reported by True North in November 2021, the release faced by unvaccinated CAF members applies to those who either wholly or chiefly because of factors within his control develops personal weaknesses or behavior or has domestic or other personal problems that seriously impair his usefulness or to or impose an excess administrative burden on the Canadian forces. The CAF officially views individual service members who refuse the jab as unsuitable, this is quote, unsuitable for further service. In an interview with the Canadian press, Defence Chief General Wayne Irie said service members are expected to follow legal orders and that a repeated refusal by some troops to get their shots raises questions about their suitability to serve in uniform. Irie went on to say, we want members in the armed forces who will follow lawful orders and put the safety and security of others first, who will embrace the selfless service and the values that are inherent in wearing this uniform and serving our country. Well, lawyer, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Roy, Rory Fowler, um, retired from the military but now is a lawyer, is unsurprised that the CAF has steadfastly been committed to letting unvaccinated members go. He questions the highly unusual way that they have gone about it. From the start, says Fowler, the CAF has cloaked the issue in terms of discipline and obedience to orders, yet has taken the cowardly approach of pointedly avoiding the use of the code of service discipline. That's a question that needs to be asked. If it was such a significant breach of discipline, why are none of the refusals dealt with under the code of service discipline? And why are no charges laid? A good question indeed, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Rory Fowler. Thirdly, Andrew, it appears that four Canadian provinces are going to band together to push back against our federal government's gun buyback program. So four Canadian provinces, that's Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, my home province, and New Brunswick, call on the federal government to not waste resources trying to confiscate over 100 thousand legally obtained firearms from law-abiding Canadian citizens. Alberta Justice Minister Tyler Shandro, who is apparently my spirit and animal, so says Andrew, <laughs> said this. This is politically motivated confiscation, pure and simple. One that will do nothing to make Alberta a safer place or to reduce the criminal misuse of firearms. The Alberta government announced on Monday it will not help the federal government confiscate around 30,000 firearms from Albertans. In August, the federal public safety minister, Marco Mendicino, requested Alberta provide resources in their bid to crack down on firearms across the country. 
The UCP government says Alberta is not legally obligated to follow through on the request and has informed Ottawa it will not be offering its assistance. Alberta's Justice Minister Tyler Shandro says the Alberta government will also pursue legal action and challenge the constitutionality of the ban. And fourth and finally, Andrew, before we get your comments on some of these stories that are coming to us uh, from last week, the most tyrannical of all chief medical officers in our nation, Kingston's very own, Andrew, Ooh. Dr. Kieran Moore, had this to say regarding the potential comeback of the evil villain, unscientific mask mandates. This is what he had to say. Dr. Karen Moore says bringing back some public health measures as people spend more time indoors is not out of the question. He says they're keeping an eye on the numbers. We're monitoring that data very closely. We're monitoring the impact on the health system, and we will make uh, recommendations based on data to inform Ontarians of when we have to mask up more. Certainly, if you're at risk to this virus at present, we need you to mask as you go indoors. If, you're, if you are immune suppressed or elderly, uh, as we go indoors, and now that we're seeing a rise in cases and impact on the health system, we should be masking as we go indoors. Moore's comments come following a leaked report that sheds more light on the situation in Ontario's emergency rooms. It shows that in August, nine of every 10 people who turned up at an ER waited for up to 33 hours for an inpatient bed. That's an increase of 54% year over year. So, Andrew, which of these stories that we've covered here briefly really sticks out to you that you want to comment on? I'm going to give... Basically, just a quick jolt, just a quick little shot to each of the four stories. Number one, the new Alberta premier obviously doesn't know that you cannot ever, 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 ever try to appease the woke mob. It is an insatiable beast, and if you give in just a little bit, you're done for. You need to hold the line. You need to draw the line and say, I will not give in. I will not apologize unless I've actually done something wrong. I will not try to satisfy this cultural behemoth. So she has made a grave tactical error that will cost her from now on because she's going to be forced to give in every time they say she's a racist because it is objectively true that people who refuse to take the experimental jab have been the most discriminated demographic of people in Canada that I can think about, at least in my 38 years. Because in 38 years, I don't remember any other group of people being told, you can't go to restaurants, you can't go to movie theaters, you can't fly on planes, you can't travel out of the country unless you do this. So what she said was true. She gave in. And Andrew, before we move on, I just want to just quickly comment on that as well. Her comments were appropriate. The comments that we played for you were not inappropriate. And she's not responding to what she actually said, but she's responding to the eisegesis of, you, you know, a bad faith actors of her actual comments. The reality is, like you have said, 
unvaccinated people were stripped of basic civic rights and in many cases constitutional fundamental freedoms that none of the groups that people have gone over again and again have been stripped of in the last you, you know multiple decades going on right so Yes, absolutely. She was not inappropriate to point out the fact that these mandates have been harsh. These the discrimination towards unvaccinated people in our society was ridiculous. The medical apartheid that was set up by public health officials was totally unbelievably inappropriate and unscientific to boot. She was totally appropriate in saying that. So why she didn't lean into that and say, you guys are making a story. I never trivialized anybody. And I even specifically said, this is not to trivialize them. You guys read into that. And now the problem is what? She's having the conversation they want her to have. Instead of highlighting the unjust nature of these mandates, the discrimination that has been done to a sector of the population because of a personal medical choice that it goes against every policy that we have in place when it pertains to medical decisions. Instead of having that conversation, she's now having a conversation about historical injustice, injustice done to marginalized minority groups. That's not the conversation we need to have. That's the conversation the left wants you to have because it allows them to bring in race Marxism, post-colonialism, all this nonsense that is a rot in our society. Yet because you gave in, because you pushed back, you didn't have enough cojones, Danielle, you, you're now having a conversation that the enemy, bad faith actors want to have instead of one that we really need to have and reckon with as, as Canadian citizens. Andrew. Yeah, Matt, we can't let the left determine the narrative. They have the Overton window and we need to smash it into a million pieces with a freedom hammer. And, and, and part of, part of this not buying into the narrative leads into the next story regarding the military because here's what we know is true. One, enlisting is down. I remember reading an article from True North not that long ago where people are not signing up to serve in the military. And why would they? Why would you sign up to know that if you have issues of conscience, legitimate, lawful, scientific issues of conscience, they'll be disregarded and you'll be discharged? So, of course, enlisting is down. But we also know that the actual standards are down. Right, that the physical requirements are down. Why? Because we want to be inclusive in the military. And we'll also allow men that suffer with delusional mental illnesses who think that they are women serve in the military with weapons. That is terrifying. We'll, we'll lower the physical standards as well. So you put all this together and what does the military decide to do? Now let's get rid of people who are people of integrity and conscience. Why don't you just continue to whittle away at our military and make it weaker and less effective? That's what this is. You've already made our military less effective, weaker, less competent, with a lower standard. And on top of that, now you are weeding out people who are the sort of people of character, the people of integrity that you would want in the military. Now you're getting rid of them. That, that's the play. We're just, we're decimating our armed forces and we're seeing an erosion 
of the kind of quality that we would want to see in soldiers. And it's being celebrated top to bottom. Absolutely, man. And I think conservative defense critic James Bazan, who's actually from the area that I grew up there in, in Selkirk, um, he he really highlighted the, the illogic of these unscientific mandates and how it's having detrimental effects on the military. Because to your point, Andrew, these uh, dismissals of hundreds of service officers and potentially thousands if all those who have refused to get the jab either quit or are fired uh, and dismissed um, unceremoniously. Um, it comes at the very time where Canadian missions aren't e being able to be conducted because there's some some numbers say 10,000 less uh Canadian service members in the Canadian Armed Forces that they need. There's 10,000 vacant positions within the military, yet here we are, they're still going about firing people for not getting the jabs at the same time that we find out that these jabs are totally incapable at stopping transmission. It's not a jab that you get to protect other people because it can't stop transmission that was openly admitted by Pfizer executives. And it was admitted that it was never even tested. And um, there, there, there was never a real understanding that they could, despite what the government officials and, and legacy media have been telling people. That was a total myth, a total fiction. And yet still the military... And the, these uh, bureaucrats who run it are are pushing forward with these mandates, which are are wholly um, illogical, unscientific, and discriminatory. Discriminatory, and um, that's the that's the really sad part about this situation. Yeah, and as it relates to so speaking of armed forces, the third story, uh, I really don't have anything to say other than the the gun buyback, the ban, the confiscation is ridiculous and unconstitutional and mm -hmm. will actually, if anything, it'll increase gun violence, not curb it. We, we, we're almost certain of that. And so thank you for provinces for saying to the federal government, don't do this. And thank you, Alberta, mm -hmm. for saying, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to join in this. We're not going to be your, your pawn in this. I wish that the province of Alberta and other provinces took a similar stance during COVID when they said, hey, we're not going to be the enforcement arm of tyrants, but I mean, I'm glad the Texas of Canada isn't going to give up their guns. So that's good news. Right. Thumbs up for that. Yeah, we need more of this. We need more of this behavior from provinces to hold our federal government to account and to defend the rights of of their citizens, of those individual provinces, because the, the fact of the matter is these these gun buyback programs, they are absolutely targeting lawfully purchased guns by law-abiding citizens. <laughs> There's no criminal is going to be giving away their guns. It, these are totally targeted at law-abiding citizens exercising their rights to own firearms. And the thing about what the provinces said, I'm thankful for them pushing back. Glad they won't go along with it. They've primarily taken the tack that it's going to use RCMP resources that they don't have. Um, I would hope that more officials would just say, no, this is unlawful. It's going against the rights of our citizens. We're not going to abide by it. And on top of that, it's using resources that we don't have. So you have no legal authority. Back off. 
go away. That's got to be the tact, not just this utilitarian kind of focus that, oh, you're going to overwhelm our RCMP. No, uphold the rights and freedoms of your citizens first and then show that you know practically it's it's insane and and um unlawful for the last story i'm i'm kind of torn man i like i've talked to a lot of different people in the political world i've had conversations with you know people who are mps who are mpps i've had conversations with people in the medical world I've had conversations with friends of mine who are pastors, and we're kind of split on this. There are some people who would say that the government has shot its shot with COVID stuff, and that's it. We are done with mandates. We are done with masking stuff. We're done with lockdowns and restrictions. And I can, I can understand that position because the reality is the fact that you have even people in the party formerly known as a conservative party who are lining up on a certain side of this means that it appears that public opinion is moving in a certain direction, right? Because they're basing everything on polling. So there, there's an argument to be made that by and large, the public will not buy any more mandates and lockdowns and restrictions. Having said that, though, they're still being threatened, right? From, from both the mm-hmm. federal doctor and like Teresa Tam and Kieran Moore, our provincial chief medical officer, they're still threatening it. And even our prime minister had a veiled threat, right? Get your, get your, get your boosts. If you want to have a free and fun winter, if you don't want police officers arresting you for skating on the pond. And so they're still making and, the and threat. Andrew, I, I, yeah. And I, I just want to add to that. It's interesting too. Kieran Moore in his comments that he made to the press he even included influenza into the reason that he would bring back the mass mandates. So, right. We were told that these mass mandates were needed because COVID is so unlike the flu and the cold that you, you have to take extreme measures like we've never taken before. But now you're seeing the goalposts have been moved, the precedents being set. And now we're going to use this to justify mass mandates for what? Well, you remember what they said in 2021, right? In 2021, they said, look, we've had zero flu, which we didn't, by the way. It must be the mask. That's not the case. It wasn't zero flu because we know for a fact that the CDC and the WHO recommended a new PCR test that was able to clearly delineate between the flu and COVID. So we know that the tests were junk. We know there wasn't actually zero (laughs) flu. That's nonsense. But you're right. What what they said Mm -hmm. was, oh, look, we got rid of the flu. For the first time in human history, the flu is gone. <laughs> Therefore, it was the masks that worked. Now, here's my question. If everyone in China has been wearing masks all the time forever, and if there was no flu in Canada and basically no flu in the United States, where, from whence did the flu come back? Why is it now that this year, apparently, it's going to be a very bad flu season? How did this thing come back with a vengeance? We killed it, didn't it? Didn't we kill it with the masks? We killed it all over the world. So now it's back. I don't know where it came from. If anything, probably some lab again because it was created. But no, the whole thing's a joke. It's all a lie. It's all theater. The masks do nothing. The shots only destroy your heart and make you more unhealthy. And if we're going to see a ramping up in sickness this fall, it's because of the weakened and suppressed immune systems from people who've taken three and four 
and five shots. We know this now. There's no hiding this anymore. The studies are out in the UK and in Israel. They've been published in the Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine. We know Dr. McCullough was talking about this. Dr. Malone has talked about this. Dr. Byron Bridal has talked about this. This is it. The ugly mask is off the corpse now. We know that if we're going to be increasing levels of sickness, it's because of what we've done. So the fact that they would threaten, that Dr. Kieran Moore would threaten the, oh, we're going to be watching. If cases go up, we're going to have another mask mandate. If I So if I had to place my bet today, and if I'm wrong, I'm glad to be wrong. But if I place my bet today, there will be some sort of modified lockdowns or mandates coming soon. It might be mask mandates again. That kind of be the easiest for them. It, and I've seen an uptick in people wearing masks outdoors again in their car. Nonsense. It might be what they did last fall. So instead of full-on lockdowns, what they said was, unless you're jabbed, you can't do this and this and this. So I can see a modified lockdown where they say, unless you have at least a third booster, you're now cut off from this, this, and this. I could see that happen. I'm, I, I don't know, Matt. I'm... I just don't see this not being over. I see something, some sort of play, some sort of mandate or restriction coming down. I don't think that we're done with this yet. They still have another, you know, 200 million doses of the the medicine that they've purchased that they need to get in our arms. So I don't think we're done yet. That gets to the point that I want to make is when I'm listening to Dr. Moore speak, he sounds like more of a salesperson for the new bivalent vaccine than he actually does for about a doctor who's trying to follow the science. <laughs> he's he's pushing a jab that has never been tested on human beings to people for that doesn't stop transmission. It doesn't stop infection it doesn't stop you ending up in the hospital at, at all yet he's pushing it on every single person including young young youngsters it's it's crazy he sounds more like a pharmaceutical sales representative than he does an actual public health official but i don't know if you can even distinguish between the two Certain, anymore, well Andrew. considering and thus is considering the, the fact that he sits on the pfizer advisory council for lyme disease oh but it's lyme disease though it's it's different you're right it's different and so just because <laughs> yeah. i happen to work Still yeah, taking checks just because <laughs> i work in the marketing department for apple as opposed to sales as opposed to r&d if Apple stock goes up, we all make money because of it. So anyone who would say, oh, but he's in, the, he's in the, the, the Lyme disease advisory board. Yeah, okay, sure. The, the better Pfizer does, the better he does. So allegedly, allegedly. Absolutely. We don't want to get yeah. sued here. <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, and, and, and we, we, we know as well that, uh, that the federal government has a huge financial stake in – uh, the, these vaccines being rolled out and being continued to be put into people's arms um, because they have made a commitment that um, is really truly unbelievable. We we touched on it on a previous program that uh, we had enough vaccines for for every single Canadian citizen to have ten shots. Um, so 
it's interesting that they tell us that the two work when they've planned all along for us to have at least 10. So anyways, Andrew, those are the stories that we covered uh, from this past week. Uh, I'm sure there's many more that we could have covered. If you guys have any suggestions, please uh, reach out to us, info at libertycoalitioncanada.com on stuff that you want to hear us talk about. We would love to have that feedback as well. And when we think about tyranny and lawless mandates and corruption and all levels of elected and unelected officials and bureaucrats, it is always our joy when we can find like-minded, freedom-minded people, not only that we can support, but who will partner with us at Liberty Coalition. And so it's our joy to announce a new partnership with Bull Bitcoin. We're going to hear a little bit more from the president and CEO of Bull Bitcoin. It was a joy to be able to interview him in a sunny, warm, tropical environment. That's where he was. That's not where we were. It's gray and rainy here where I am, and you're in Winnipeg, so you're probably already under three feet of snow by this time of year. <laughs> it did snow this past week. It, oh, it, my word. I didn't even know that it did. It did I didn't snow. even know. I was just making that up, but wow, it, it did. It's gone. It's it's. It's gone. It was like sleety, but anyways. So we're we're very pleased to announce that partnership with Bull Bitcoin. So before we get to the interview with Francis, I want to talk a little bit about our friends. Born out of the desire to separate money from the state, Bitcoin epitomizes freedom money, an uncensorable network programmed around digital scarcity, where the individual is in full control and accountable for his own property, which is part of the reason why the tyrannical state hates it, because individual controls and responsibility, the commies don't want that. So Bull Bitcoin, Canada's most trusted Bitcoin exchange since 2013, is a 100% self-funded company led and operated by incorruptible activists for individual liberties and freedoms. This sounds like us. I love these guys. At Bull Bitcoin, security and privacy are priority. Customers' funds are transferred directly to their Bitcoin wallet in their own possession. With Bull Bitcoin, you never run the risk of losing your money. You own the money. Sign up at mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC and get started with your accounts creation today. Contact Bull's best in the business customer support team at any point to request assistance throughout the process. Take control of your money. Mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. I will say, as I say with all of our sponsors, because we don't we just don't pick people out of thin air, I personally have purchased Bitcoin from Bull Bitcoin, and they've been super helpful in helping me figure out the right wallet to use and how to properly, uh, you know, securely store my Bitcoin and how to access it. So it's we're not just saying, oh yeah, these people are willing to partner with us, so go and support them. No, no, no. These are companies that we support. These are companies that we have engaged with. These are people that I personally have done business with. Now Matt and I will say that we're not financial advisors. So don't look at us exactly for how to spend all your money. But if you want that, go to our other friends. Absolutely. But if you're asking the question, okay, well, well, what about Bitcoin? What about crypto? Should I? Should I not? What are the benefits? Those are great questions. And so to answer some of those questions, we thought it would be great to show you the interview that we did with Francis Pouliot, 
the founder and CEO of Bull Bitcoin. Let's watch that now. Well, we are very pleased to have with us on the dispatch Francis Pouliot. He is the CEO of Bull Bitcoin. He's one of the first members of the Bitcoin embassy in Montreal and the director of the embassy. He's connected with and he's presented himself in the past with the Libertarian Party of Canada. He is a friend to Liberty Coalition Canada. We're going to talk about that friendship and that relationship a little bit more in this interview. Francis, you are clearly in a beautiful place surrounded by the kind of climate and trees that may be foreign to those of us uh, for myself in Kingston or Matt, who's in Winterpeg. Is it already snowing there? You guys are already under mountains of snow in Winnipeg, right? No, the, the mosquitoes not still yet. there. They're like 10 times the size. <laughs> if Francis is not there, he's somewhere very other than that. Yeah. Francis, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's great to have you on the dispatch. Uh, thanks so much for having me, guys. Yes, I actually uh, left the uh, communist country of Canada about two years ago as a direct result of the lockdowns. So that was my uh, my big reason to leave. And uh, although I uh, I left Canada, my ancestors have been in Canada for 350 years. Uh, I just couldn't handle living under this like tyrannical regime. So I left for greener pastures. Um, but uh, I will be coming back one day and uh, hopefully help with Canada's reconstruction after it all inevitably collapses. So let's let's talk about that because part of the part of the reconstruction effort is by building structures and institutions and actually establishing things and practices and principles, businesses and understanding of currency that are in place so that we can actually rebuild and have something strong after what appears to be the inevitable collapse, both culturally and economically. And so that leads to a question about bull Bitcoin. You have the shirt on. It looks really great. You're not associated with The Rock and his Under Armour brand because The Rock is a secret. He's, he's a secret lefty and he probably is all for super government control. So we want to make sure we disassociate from that. This is the good bull. This is the Canadian bull, not the Brahma bull. So tell us about bull Bitcoin. When did it start? Why did it start? Help our audience understand more about this company that uh, that we support and we love here at the Liberty Coalition Canada. Yeah, so Bull Bitcoin was founded in 2015. Um, a little bit more about my background before starting Bull Bitcoin. I was a I was a libertarian since um, university, and I started to work at a, a think tank called the Montreal Economic Institute. It's an Austrian economics um, free market capital uh, think tank. And my job there was to analyze government policies and try to nudge public opinion into the direction of liberty and free markets. Um, so I would write these policy briefs and uh, try to vulgarize free market principles to the public. And after working there for just, just under a year, um, I realized that um, we were too far gone. The system was too bloated. Um, we've been growing the size of government since, you know, the 1960s, uh, the amount of regulations that we have is, is just unfathomable to unwind. You know, regulation is kind of like a ratchet. It's a, it's a one-way street. Once you, once you put in some regulations and some government power, it, once you grant government's power over your life, it's really difficult to um, take it back. And at the same time, uh, I got into Bitcoin in 2013. So that was in the wake of, um, you know, the 2008 financial crisis. 
And I had bec become interested in, in money via uh, people like Dr. Ron Paul, who was talking about the Federal Reserve and then quantitative easing. And it just seemed to me like government had an unlimited amount of financial resources with, um, with the government money printing and that it wasn't the system was going to collapse. So um, my, my rationale was it's very hard to salvage the existing, the ex existing let's call it you know, social democratic or socialist or, or technocratic government institution. And there's a timer on it, right? So it's, it's going to collapse. I was actually introduced to Bitcoin by some libertarian friends of mine. And um, as soon as I uh, started to talk to them, they, they essentially told me, Francis, um, and I told them, I don't understand Bitcoin. I, I, I don't have a computer science background at all. I have a public policy and kind of an economist background. So I understand some of the economics, of course, in the beginning. And then I was telling them, guys, I don't know how this works. I don't understand mining. I don't understand any of this thing. And um, my, my very good friend uh, who introduced me to Bitcoin, he said, don't try to understand Bitcoin. It's going to take a long time. Just trust me on this. You're great for Bitcoin. You're going to love Bitcoin. So um, join me in working at this, uh, this institution called the Bitcoin Embassy. So these were early Bitcoin entrepreneurs, um, free market radicals that were um, trying to establish a physical hub in Montreal um, to spur entrepreneurship in the Bitcoin industry. At the time, Bitcoin was uh, very, uh, had a very bad reputation. It still does in some circles, although, you know, nowadays, when you say you're in Bitcoin, people will just assume you're a drug dealer. You know, we've kind of like passed this, this uh, initial aversion to Bitcoin being associated to the dark web and money laundering and all that. Um, now, Bitcoin is much more associated to, you know, freedom of speech extremism, you know, um, such as ourselves. Um, so I got into Bitcoin and then uh, I operated this physical kiosk um, where the general public in Montreal could literally walk up into our office and ask questions about Bitcoin. And then they wanted to get onboarded to Bitcoin. And I was passionately explaining to them why Bitcoin and um, what's the logic behind it. But I, I noticed there was a lack of institutions that could take care of their um, transactional needs, their business needs. You know, to put it uh, simply, people wanted ways to buy Bitcoin and they wanted ways to spend Bitcoin. So that's why I started Bull Bitcoin. And also in the Bitcoin industry, um, there were a lot of uh, companies that were promoting or advocating for alternative cryptocurrencies. In my, in my group of, in, in my circle, we call them shitcoins. Um, and uh, I see a lot of these cryptocurrencies as, as being uh, completely different to Bitcoin. In my mind, there's Bitcoin and then there's crypto. These are two kind of different worlds. Um, they're often conflated, but uh, they, they were peddling these alternative cryptocurrencies, which I saw as scams. And, you know, another reason why I got into Bitcoin was because I really saw that the banking sector holding people's wealth was a huge leverage for the government against them. So ultimately, you know, how does the government enforce its policies? Uh, it's very difficult to physically crack down on the population, but it's very easy to contact a bank and ask them to, to freeze the, a person's bank accounts as we've seen, obviously, um, with the, the trucker protests. So my, 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 my angle was I want to create a system where people take control of their money. In our industry, it's called being non-custodial exchange. So bull Bitcoin is a, is a Bitcoin exchange. You can buy Bitcoin with e-transfer, wire transfer, and bank transfers in Canada. And contrary to most other Bitcoin exchanges, um, we don't hold the Bitcoin for you. We will set you up with your own Bitcoin wallet to which you have exclusive control. 
And as soon as you uh, purchase the Bitcoin on our website, we send it to you right away. We don't, we don't keep it in custody. We don't want to be responsible for holding the wealth of other people because if we do, then we're just like the banks. Um, we're, we're, we're liable to, to, to seizure. So we wanted to create this institution that would set up the best practices. And for me, the best practices, there's two. It's buy Bitcoin and hold it um, for the long term. No day trading. Um, that's a, a good recipe for disaster. I, I know it's tempting for a lot of people to try to day trade and, and make a lot of money, but I see Bitcoin as being a savings instrument. And hold your own keys, hold your own money. That means not trusting a third party to hold the wealth on your behalf. So that's the, the big rationale behind Bull Bitcoin. Okay. So, Francis, for our listeners, maybe you could give a kindergarten version of what Bitcoin mm-hmm. is. Because you said when you were initially introduced to this, you were like, I don't know what's going on, uh, but I'm intrigued by the, the premise of this decentralized uh, medium of exchange that Bitcoin is. So maybe you can give the kindergarten Coles notes for those of our, who are, of our listeners who are listening to the program or watching the program so they can kind of understand what it is, what's some of the rationale behind it and how it all actually works together. Yeah, absolutely. So from, from an, an economics point of view, Bitcoin is sound money. Uh, sound money is distinct because it's difficult to produce. There's a limited supply of it. And no matter how hard you try, you can't produce more of it. A government cannot create more Bitcoins. Nobody can create Bitcoins out of thin air. So the best analogy would be, it's a simplistic analogy, but the best analogy would be that it's the digital equivalent of gold. So gold is introduced in the in the in circulation in the money supply because people will actually physically dig it out of the earth. They will expand some energy to take it out of the earth and put it on the market. Fiat currency, on the other hand, is created like this um, at the whim of a bureaucrat uh, operating under the instructions of, in the best cases, politicians, in the worst cases, an international cartel of financial institutions and bankers and globalists. So. Think about it like this. The government can create um, like a trillion dollars out of thin air while you will work your entire life and you'll accumulate like a few hundred grand for your retirement. How is that possible that the government creates that wealth? Um, So the really key component of Bitcoin is that it's scarce. It can only be created by the expansion of energy through a process that we call proof of work. And the rules in Bitcoin, the monetary policy of Bitcoin is fixed and cannot be changed. You know, um, maybe God can change it, but you know, God is the only person that I can think about that could change the rules of Bitcoin. Um, There's only 21 million Bitcoins and they are issued every 10 minutes according to the energy that has been expanded in the network. So that's, that's a key component, right? So sound money, means that um, there's no there's no like price inflation right when you hold bitcoin over time on a long enough timeline you can buy more stuff because a lot of people want bitcoin and there's only a limited amount of it whereas fiat currencies um, the amount of currency that's created increases all the time that's why your dollars are worth less and less every year um, and i believe from a from a cultural standpoint from a sociological standpoint we're better off if our money appreciates over time because in economics, it, it creates a, a, a concept called um, a low time preference. That means that you're more inclined to save your wealth and to pass it down to future generation. Because if, if you put cash under your mattress, 
it's gonna, the value is gonna melt away. So you're incentivized to spend it. You're incentivized to consume right now and you're disincentivized to save it and pass it on to your kids. And you're also incentivized to gamble on the stock market because how else are you gonna beat inflation, right? So if you leave the cash under your mattress, it's gonna melt away. So what do you do? You put it in an investment fund that's managed by these big banks and I will gamble your money. So that's the first part is the sound money, it's scarce. Um, and the value of it, uh, you know, the economic theory is that it will rise over time. The other part of Bitcoin that's really interesting, it's so Bitcoin is money on one, on, on one side, but it's also a payment transactional network. Um, both, both of these concepts are, are intertwined in, in, in the Bitcoin technology and the network, but it's money and it's also a payments mechanism. So the payments mechanism has a lot of key features. The first one is that it's uh, completely decentralized. It, it is really, uh, it's hard to, to con conceive, but it is very, very, very decentralized. There's no entity that's controlling it. When you're sending money to somebody over the Bitcoin network, there is no in intermediary between you and the recipient. What does that mean? Well, that means that a person cannot stop you from making payments. They cannot stop you from receiving payments. That's very important. Actually, one of the first big use cases of Bitcoin was WikiLeaks, the journalistic organization that had its PayPal and bank accounts shut down, and they started to accept Bitcoin donations because a Bitcoin donation cannot be stopped. Um, the physical possession of Bitcoin is actually um, just math. Uh, it cannot be seized. It's a, it's it's a, it's a bear. It's a seizure resistant, right? So, if you have cash under your mattress and you know someone gets into your house, they can just take your cash in Bitcoin. Uh, if they come into your house, you have to give them a passphrase that's in your head. So you are the person who ultimately controls who will have access to your funds. And I thought this was um, a phenomenal achievement for, for the liberty movement because, as I said, and as we see today, uh, how are people being censored? The first line we sit all the time, their bank accounts, their PayPal gets shut down, and this is a hindrance to free speech. So to summarize, Bitcoin is censorship-resistant payments and transactional network. And Bitcoin is also sound money, scarce money, whose value appreciates over time on the long enough timeline. So, Francis, maybe you can talk a little bit about the current state of Bitcoin and its role as you see it in, in the economy. Because I can't help but, you know, I've been listening to the debates on the floor of of the House of Commons of Parliament going back and forth and the liberals are chastising the new CPC leader, Pierre Polyev, about his support for Bitcoin and his promotion of it. And their line, Francis, is if you had done what Pierre told you to do and you put your savings into Bitcoin, you would have lost your life savings. It would all be gone. You'd be financially broke and destitute living on the street. Why is that just a total misunderstanding of proper Bitcoin investing, of what people use Bitcoin for, but also then maybe you can talk about, like, as I say, the state of Bitcoin right now, because it is getting clobbered, we know that, and the role in the economy going forward. Yeah, so um, I can't remember when Trudeau got into office, probably 2015. I don't know, 20, 2014, yeah, yeah, you're 2016, right. yeah, 2015. something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in 2015, um, Bitcoin was like $300 Canadian, and today it's about 25 grand. So if you had invested your money in Bitcoin when Trudeau was elected, um, you would be much, much better off today. So Bitcoin, um, when I first joined, was a very marginal phenomenon. Um, today, there is a very large amount of people who use Bitcoin it's impossible to estimate because the network is, is anonymous, right? So 
there's no statistics. Um, you, even though the, the, the network itself is an open network and you can see transactions going on, you don't see the, the real world identities of the sender and the recipient and people can use multiple wallets. Um, there's not like one wallet per person. So we don't know how many people are using Bitcoin, but it's estimated that about 100 million people are using Bitcoin. So it's, it's a much, much larger um, share of the population than before. Um, Bitcoin has grown tremendously. It's used in Central America. Uh, I live in Central America. You know, you can probably tell from the vegetation. Um, it's used as a day-to-day -day payments network where I live. I actually pay for my raw milk, for my meat, for my fruits. Uh, I pay my rent in Bitcoin. About 75% of my daily expenses are, are paid with Bitcoin. The only thing I cannot pay with Bitcoin here, unfortunately, is gasoline um, and my car mechanic. But pretty much everything else I can pay with Bitcoin here. Um, so Bitcoin allows people to opt out of the system. And it is a present and clear threat to governments that are trying to enforce their cultural or political agenda via government censorship. And also that are trying to um, let, raise financing for their government policies by printing money. So the thing about national currencies is they're very tightly regulated. They, they, we have national um, uh, legal tender laws. So in Canada, you are forced to accept the Canadian dollar as a merchant. You're not allowed not to accept the Canadian dollar. There's actually um, a, the Currency Act in Canada that forces everybody to use the Canadian dollar to pay for their taxes. And if there is an... Yeah, it, 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 even if it's junked, because it creates demand for the Canadian dollar, right? So if people have a method of opting out, it reduces the ability for the government to inflate the currency supply. Because if the government continues to inflate the currency supply and then the price of everything goes up for everybody, people are going to migrate to another currency like Bitcoin. Um, which they can do because it's censorship resistant and it's permissionless, right? And which so, which is what they yeah. did under gold and why centralized big governments hated gold yeah. is because if they inflated their currency too much, people would buy gold and then hold governments accountable for how they're dealing with their paper currency. So that's a really Absolutely. good point to bring I mean, up. They, they, made, they made gold illegal. Um, they made uh, in 1933 the U.S. made gold ownership of gold illegal. In 1971, they stopped um, uh, dollars. P people still think that dollars are backed by gold. They're not. They haven't been backed by gold since 1971. Um, and even even in the 2000s, there was a group of internet entrepreneurs, libertarians, that tried to do a digital version of gold. So they would issue this online token that was backed by some gold in 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 reserve. And what happened? The government arrested the founders and shut it down, right? So it is impossible to achieve censorship-resistant transactions on the internet with gold because there's always going to be somebody who's holding it physically, a, a centralized third party that is uh, that can be uh, a target of government enforcement. So that's why Bitcoin, by with its decentralized issuance mechanism, contrary to gold, and because of the fact that you don't need a third party to transact. Um, that, that, to me, uh, from, from the currency aspect, Bitcoin is similar to gold, but from a transactional aspect, you just cannot replicate gold on the internet um, and have it censorship resistant. It's impossible. So a lot of what you're talking about, a, a lot of what you've been unpacking just in this time has been the reality that our civil government has become grossly, obesely, morbidly overbloated and heavy-handed. And they desire to have their greasy, disgusting hands in everything. 
and control Canadians' lives. Mm -hmm. We've seen the imposition of these totalitarian measures just in the last couple of years with the seizing of bank accounts or with the canceling, whether it's Stripe cancels this person or PayPal cancels this person or banks are approached and TD willingly says, we'll willingly give banking information for people that donated to the convoy at the behest of the civil government. So we see that. We agree on that. We agree on the importance of Canadians being free to spend, save, do with their wealth what they want and not have this tyrannical control upon currency, upon wealth. We agree on that. We agree We agree in the importance of individual rights and freedoms and responsibilities, being responsible citizens, being responsible Canadians. There's all these areas that we agree, which is great. And that's one of the reasons why we are so happy and pleased to have a partnership with Bull Bitcoin and with the Liberty Coalition Canada because of the many ways that our values are aligned and the fact that we have openly told Canadians, listen, there are things you should and shouldn't do. You shouldn't be involved in this. You shouldn't be connected with this. Get your money out of big banks. We've said that before. Rethink having your kids in public schools because of the indoctrination. So we have no problem saying for the sake of liberty, for the sake of your freedoms, and for the sake of flourishing and existing as Canadians the way that we should in our country, don't do all these things. So we have many values that are aligned. And so we are so pleased that we can have a partnership with Bull Bitcoin and we support what you guys are, are doing and what you stand for, right? The values, the principles that undergird your organization. And so that's kind of where we're coming from. So to kind of throw it to yourself, Francis, in your mind as an organization, Bull Bitcoin, how do you see the, I guess, the similarities or the, the, the relationship? Why the connection? Why is it a good fit? Why is it that we can link arms together for the sake of liberty and freedom for Canadians specifically? Yeah, so the first thing is Bull Bitcoin does not have Visa investors. We don't have bank loans. We're entirely self-funded. We're very, very fortunate and grateful to have had the capacity to self-finance. So we don't have any strings. Right. Um, the company is a values driven company. We are very openly libertarian. We're very conservative. Um, you know, uh, people that join Bull Bitcoin as staff members, they buy into a certain type of ideology and the, it's an ideology that they want to promote. I think most importantly, the, the, the value that we want is individual responsibility and individual liberty. So you cannot talk about individual liberty without having their responsibility um, counter uh, the other side of the coin. So we want to empire, empower people to take control over their own wealth. The way that I see it, um, the freedom to transact is a fundamental uh, premise for freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and freedom of ownership. Right. So if you're not able to transact, then in this day and age, if you cannot get financing for like a news outlet or for um, uh, a podcast or for for anything, if you can't earn income, then you effectively will not have the tools to be able to spread your message. If you're not able to move your money out of a bank, obviously, you cannot leave. You're, you're very captive. Um, so uh, we're not, I mean, we are entrepreneurs and capitalists, so we are profit driven, <laughs> you know, as an incentive, obviously. Um, but most, most importantly, we are uh, value driven. 
For example, for example, um, some of the other people we sponsor, we sponsor Libre Media in, in Quebec. They were one of the only organizations that um, stood up to the to the lockdowns. For just just from a, our clients' perspective, you you would be shocked to hear how many Canadians are trying to leave the country in order to go somewhere else because they're not able to live their life the way they want. They cannot raise their kids. They don't have any confidence that their kids are going to grow up in a in a in an environment that, uh, that that's healthy and that's um, you know traditional or conservative. So people actually come to us and they ask us, hey, like. Can I sell my house and can I get Bitcoin and can, can I get out of the country? So we see on a day-to-day -day basis the actual need of Canadians to have like an opt-out um, mechanism. The way that I see myself is as I'm, I'm selling life jackets. Um, we are on a second ship and uh, Bitcoin is a, is a life raft. Uh, you know, life jacket on, on, a, on a life raft. It doesn't matter if there's negative press about life jackets. You know, if you're, if you're going to drown, you're going you're gonna to hop onto the life jacket. Um, so we just want to make sure that everybody has access to it. And one of the reasons why um, we put so much effort into education, into tutorials, into helping people, you know, physically own their own coins. Um, our motto, uh, our customer service motto is nobody left behind. We actually have phone calls with grandmothers, um, with elderly people all the time. And we give them the tools to be able to remove us, ourselves from the equation. Like, I don't want people to be dependent on bull Bitcoin for anything, right? You come here, you get your Bitcoin, you take out the Bitcoin, and then you're gone. Um, but we will help people to do that. So um, empowering people to take back their freedom via this technology is our, is our number one goal. And we want to make sure that when the, the Canadian economy collapses, which I think intuitively a lot of people feel is imminent, Um, we've printed just so much money. We've regulated the hell out of all the industries that produce wealth, like natural resources. Everybody's taxed and maxed out. So we see like Canadians are individually in debt. The government is in debt. And now we're printing money. And at the same time that we're printing money, we're also raising rates. I mean, something's, some, something's got to give. And then I hope that people can literally save the, themselves and their families by opting into this, um, into this sound money system. Yeah, and regardless, I think this is an important premise. Regardless of where one would sit, whether for Bitcoin, against it, because I know even libertarians are sometimes split. Some more are gold bugs. Some are really into new crypto and stuff like that. What we can all in the freedom movement get on board with is the principles you're talking about, the decentralization of the medium of exchange in our societies, right? Because it can hold then governments to account. It can limit what they're doing because inflation, which is rampant across the world, is a secret tax that ends up lining government co uh, coffers and taking away from no normal ordinary citizens. So as as a freedom movement, we talk a lot about trying to end socialized practices in our country try to decentralize aspects of our society, but we don't think of often the medium of exchange, which is involved in every single transaction that you take part of in our society. So that's what I'm so excited to talk with you guys and partner with you guys about and just introduce our, our listeners and our viewers to you guys so they can have those bigger conversations. Um, you know, we're not giving investment advice. We're not qualified to do that. But again, these are the values that we're trying to promote is this decentralization of this. And I'm against socialism in every respect, 
and including when it it pertains to our money supply um, and the power over it in in our society. So. I really do appreciate, Francis, that you were able to come on, just kind of tell us some of your values, what Bull Bitcoin's about, um, to introduce our partnership. And we just pray that um, you would continue to stand on principle, stand firm, stand fast, and that this partnership um, with you guys will help wake up Canadian citizens to the nature of fiat currency, of government totalitarianism and overreach in every area of life. And regardless if they're investing in Bitcoin or not, just get them thinking about these really, really important issues. So thank you, Francis, for for coming on the program. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate the partnership with Bull Bitcoin. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, and to direct our audience, um, to direct our viewers and give them some next steps, um, what they can do is you can go to mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. Again, that's mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. And what we can say is that any company, any individual that would be so bold is to partner with and support us knowing that we are of the unpopular variety in legacy media. And I know for a fact that there are a number <laughs> of organizations that might privately like what we do, but publicly look at us and say, if we associate with you guys being the hot brand that you are, what if they come for our bank accounts? What? And so there's a lot of people that would say, we like what you do in secret, <laughs> but then in public won't come out and say, no, 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 we support the work. And so anyone who supports what we do, anyone who looks at our organization and says, we're for that, we support that. Listeners, audience, that's an organization you need to support as well. And I'll, I'll share by way of personal anecdote that once the convoy stuff started going down, our family and even our church made a decision that now is the time to more seriously consider and diversify what we have and be wise with our resources. So we before any partnership with you guys, we got connected with Bull Bitcoin that both our family decided we were going to invest some of our money and buy Bitcoin and have it exactly for what you've said as, the, as, a, as a way to be free, as a way to be in control of our resources and as a way to hedge against some sort of collapse or some sort of tyranny. My church also, my church took some of the money that we had and we decided we were also going to purchase some Bitcoin through Bill Bitcoin. So I say this to tell our audience that we just don't go around getting sponsors and advertisers, people who are willing to invest with us and we'll just take anyone. That these are companies that we support. This is a company I support that I personally have supported and worked with that my church supports as well because they share the values that we do and because we are all about freedoms and the rights and the responsibilities for Canadians to be in command of their finances and to stand against the sort of tyranny that we see. So again, please do your research, right? Go to mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. You can find out more about Bull Bitcoin. You can find out more about how crypto works. You can have your questions answered. You can ask, you know, what, what does it mean to invest and buy? Or just do the research support this company uh, and join us in this freedom resistance movement more and more. So again, Francis, thank you so much 
for joining us. I look forward to seeing more and more people swallow that orange pill <laughs> and begin to push back even by saying, yeah, I'm not going to play in your financial world. We'll be in command of our own resources and we're going to help people do that together. Amen. Thank you so much, Andrew. That's fantastic. Great to hear. Andrew, that was a great discussion to have with Francis. Uh, I, I'm a, a personally more of a gold bug uh, a little bit, but I have diversified my investments, including Bitcoin as well. Um, and I think it's important for a lot of the reasons we talked about in that interview that Canadians be invested in assets that are not um, susceptible to the machinations of our central bank in Canada and of the whims of our politicians. So our central bank is pseudo private, but we know it's just the policy arm essentially of our federal government and works hand in glove with them. Um, so it is really important to keep our government officials accountable and that includes our monetary system, because what have we seen over the last two and a half years with the insanity of COVID? Our government officials have taken specific po political policies that have debased the currency in our nation even more than it already was. And we know now that only 40% of all the spending that has been done over the last two and a half years was for actual COVID policies. And the vast majority of that spending was for special interest groups, for the Green Revolution. All these things are dangerous. And all this economic behavior and government intervention into our economy is what has led us to 40-year highs in inflation. And that's even with all the silliness that they do with the numbers record high inflation it's leading to the debasement of our currency the cost of living is skyrocketing throughout all sectors of of life and that's primarily because we have idiots in government who don't care about monetary policy who don't think it's appropriate and who think it's funny to call out um it's just a, a talking point to call out uh pierre polyev for his support of bitcoin but realistically all the things that we talked about with francis remain true of bitcoin and ha had you invested early on in bitcoin you would be uh, have you would have a lot more wealth uh, with that investment today so while bitcoin is at a low it might be a good time to buy into bitcoin now uh, obviously don't put all your life savings into Bitcoin, but it might be a good time to purchase Bitcoin while it's at a low, low so you can get into uh, diversifying your assets and uh, diversifying some of the money that you have. So really appreciate Francis, really appreciate his perspective and also love the support of free, independent, liberty-minded businesses like Bull Bitcoin coming on and partnering with us. So we definitely want you guys to go and check that out and ask all those responsible questions um, and ask your financial advisor even if you have one of those. Canadians need to be thinking about their finances, about their wealth, and about stewarding what they have. I mean, in, mm -hmm. in a way like they haven't before, even though we should have before. But I think now that things have been revealed, yes. we're realizing maybe we can't trust that simply putting all of our money in banks that apparently are supposed to be really great is what's best for us. 
and maybe we'll see that if we find ourselves on the wrong end of the Marxist stick, right, if we spread misinformation and PayPal is going to say, there's a fine, right, maybe we, maybe we cannot trust the institutions that we've known. And so it's important for Canadians to think about their wealth. And so I, I, I would agree with you, Matt, that I think Canadians need to consider investing and buying precious metals, gold and silver. I'll also say here, side note, if you happen to be or if you know someone who deals in gold and silver and precious metals, please let us know. We'd like to contact them because we would love to have them also as a sponsor and advertiser for our show because, again, we see the value of getting our money and funds out of the control and spying eyes of our elected officials of big tech. But gold and silver, diversifying a little bit in Bitcoin. And this is also why you need to reach out to our friends at Rocklink Investment Partners. The team at Rocklink is not and does not support a woke Marxist WEF-friendly cancel culture worldview. Oh, love it. And they've created the Kokomo Fund. In light of bank accounts being seized and frozen during the Emergencies Act, or as we've already said, the inquiry is revealing, it is the War Measures Act 2.0. Rockling can help you move your investments overseas based in the Cayman Islands, the world's number one offshore market for investment funds. Give the freedom lovers at Rockling a call at 905-631-5462 or send them an email info at rocklink.com that's info at rocklink.com it is important for you friends to think about the resources you have that you steward and to be excellent with them and get your money out of the big banks they hate you they will seize your money if you don't have a high enough social credit score be wise with that so while we're talking about the Emergencies Act, or again, I want to be clear, it is the War Measures Act rebranded. That's all it is. They just changed it so that they wouldn't actually let us know that our federal government was engaging in war with its citizens by forcibly removing <laughs> was, them. Was calling it martial, martial yeah, law. So we don't want to actually yeah. let them know that it is war, so we'll just call it an emergency, <laughs> but we know what it really is. And so our, our last story is that we are two days into the Public Order Emergency Commission hearings, which began on Thursday last week, which is the public inquiry into the evoke invoking of the War Measures Act 2.0 during the trucker convoy in Ottawa. Now, this comes to us from the Western Standard. Over the next six weeks, the public hearing will hear from various members of cabinet, officials from the city of Ottawa, police officers, the Freedom Convoy organizers. The aim of the public hearing is to determine whether the Liberal government was justified in implementing the Emergencies Act the first time in Canadian history in response to the Freedom Convoy protests back in early 2022. I just want to say quickly, it's not the first time in history because the War Measures Act was invoked three times in history. So this is the fourth time it was ever invoked. The first time under its new name, the reason why they don't want people to know the truth is the only other three times the War Measures Act were, were, was invoked in Canada was World War I, World War II, and during the riots in Quebec in the 70s when people were literally yeah, kidnapped and murdered. Yeah. Okay, so it was yeah, actual terror. Yeah. 
yeah. this was yeah this was absolutely. french toast in the middle of the street and bouncy castles and bouncy yeah castles. that's so that's yeah. why paul rouleau He's the commissioner for the hearing and a former Ontario Superior Court judge had this to say at the onset of the inquiry, quote, uncovering the truth is an important goal. When difficult events occur that affect the lives of Canadians, the public has a right to know what has happened. I agree. I agree. Are we going to get that from the tippy top leaders? Probably not. But I agree anyways. Continuing, in describing the mandate given to the commission by the federal cabinet, the commissioner described the mandate in five sections. One, to examine first the evolution and goals of the convoy movement and border protests and their leadership, organization, and participants. Two, the impact of foreign and domestic funding. Three, the impact, role, and sources of misinformation and disinformation. Four, the economic impact of blockades. Five, the efforts of police and other responders prior to and after the declaration. And if you hear that and you think like myself, there's already some misinformation there. Yes, there is. That's correct. So clearly <laughs> the deck is stacked against freedom, but hopefully the truth will win the day. Absolutely. And I, I just, as a side note, I, I heard our esteemed right honorable Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speak about <laughs> the necessity for them to call for this commission so we can get to the bottom of the truth of what happened as though this were something that him and his all his integrity and his party and all its transparency and uprightness is has called for and it's not a necessary aspect of calling for the emergencies act in the first place he didn't call for this inquiry his government did not unilaterally ask for this commission this is legally by law something that has to follow in a timely manner, the the invocations of the Emergencies Measure Act. So that's a, a load of hogwash and a ton of spin from our our Prime Minister. And even in the questioning and the 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 five sectors, you're you're seeing how the deck is stacked, as you said, against freedom. But let's get into a little bit of a recap of of what took place over the first couple of days of the inquiry. And I'm sure as we progress, this is going to be going on for an extended period of time. We'll cover things as they come out um, for you. But uh, here's a brief uh, recap of day one. The lawyers for the federal government said to no one's surprise that the act was justified. Lawyers representing both Alberta and Saskatchewan said these provinces did not agree with the act. Lawyers from the Freedom Corporation and the Democracy Fund and the Canadian Constitution Foundation said the act was completely unjustified. On day two, we saw witness testimonies, and this is uh, from, from True North uh, News reporting on these witness testimonies. Zexi Lee, a 22-year-old Ottawa resident and federal government employee, testified that living in Ottawa during the Freedom Convoy was something like living in the What a drama queen. Can I say that? that? What a, what a drama <laughs> yes. queen. Like, honestly... Take a nap, 
get your crayons, <laughs> go to your safe space, yeah. get your pillow. You can't live in the real world. Are you kidding me? Mm. What a diva. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, um, apparently you were at the convoy and apparently you survived a, a, a crazy horror yeah, I, scene. And I only, I only had to murder <laughs> 10 people to make my way through the convoy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's not very purge-like. Only 10. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so she's invoking this this horror movie series in which a fictional United States enters a 12-hour state of lawlessness in which rape and murder are illegal. You know what was legal, um, so what though? She what was, what... was beating innocent protesters. Pepper, so do you know what the purge was? The purge was when the federal government brought police officers from all over the country— with riot gear and sound devices and sound grenades and pepper spray and snipers on the top of roofs, which I saw pointing guns at us and drones flying overhead, threatening <laughs> to beat us and arrest us. Yeah, that was the purge-like stuff. Not from the not from the bouncy mm. castles, but from the goons and the government. What a joke. So yeah. So according to Miss Lee, this government um employee she said it things seem so surreal it's almost like you were in something like the purge she said though i didn't off what evidence does she have scant scanty she doesn't have any in fact listen to her words though i didn't often see direct acts of violence there was a certain chaos on the streets and that feeling of chaos gradually gradually increased as things you know what progressed. the chaos was matt the chaos was that at every block you had different songs playing from speakers that was the chaos the chaos was you'd be you'd you be know, standing at one intersection head, head and you'd scrambling. be hearing good times boom, 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 and then you'd walk a couple feet and then you'd hear we are family and then you walk a couple more feet and you'd hear party rock anthem you're like yeah, that was the chaos. The chaos was they were all playing different songs while they were dancing in the streets. That was the chaos. I'm just going to keep saying throughout this that this is a what a joke. What a joke. Continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, I need I yeah, need more liberal tears. This is good. <laughs> uh, under cross-examination, uh, Lee didn't obviously provide any real um, substantive accusations of violence or lawlessness but she just said there was a general feeling that you could illegally occupy our streets in ottawa and it felt like people could do anything they wanted brendan miller the convoy lawyer also asked lee about her interactions with the protesters including an interaction in which lee allegedly told truckers to go back to where the swear word you come from lee confirmed that she may have said these words the only violence described in lee's testimonies uh, during her testimonies alleged actions from people living in lee's apartment building throwing eggs at the truckers from their balcony Egg throwing started to occur from my building, Lee said, which she described as her neighbor's little act of retaliation toward the peaceful Assault. truckers. They assaulted yes. the truckers. <laughs> the truckers would have made them French toast and given them free hats and hand warmers. And they assaulted the truckers, including moms and kids, with eggs. So they're the ones who did the assault. Yeah, so it... 
Yeah, it should be noted that the, that's the only actual assault that she pointed to was was people throwing eggs at the truckers. Anyways, testifying alongside Lee was Victoria de la Ronde, also a resident of downtown Ottawa and a former federal government that's two, employee. That's two, two government under employees, questioning, former and, and, and present. And, and it should be noted, my wife works for the federal government. They're explicit in their training sessions that as a government employee, you cannot speak against your employer. Just as if you if you spoke negatively against your employer in the private sector, they could punish you. They they apply that to a public sector job as well under the federal government. So to say you have to take everything coming from people who are testifying in this capacity who are federal employees with a grain of salt is is By a grain of salt okay? you mean a big mountain of salt yes a gigantic mountain of salt under questioning from commission counsel de la ronde claimed that due to honking from protesters in february she still hears phantom honking and is triggered by the sound of horns to which i reply that's my answer yeah what was that phantom honking all right there you go. Whatever. It was like the purge. Yeah, it was the purge. There was phantom <laughs> though I can't honking. Point, though I can't point to any violence except the, or Except actual... the violence that we did. That's the only violence yes, I can point yeah, to. But other than that. It was like the purge yeah, It was out like there. the purge. We were throwing eggs at them. It was the purge. Phantom honking. That's it. That's <sighs> so it. <laughs> as if that's not absurd enough and truly worthy of all the mocking and ridicule that we are bringing and then some and i mean that sincerely that those testimonies are deserving of every ounce of mockery that we have brought and then some you also had testimony that ottawa businesses voluntarily shut down for fear of violating public health order not because of the truck so that's important to note it wasn't so the Ottawa businesses were testifying it's not because of the truckers it's because if we stayed open we would get in trouble now there was this one shawarma place that actually stayed open I think it was three brothers shawarma kind of call out to the three brothers if you're in Ottawa go get shawarma from them first of all delicious second of all you would go in there no masks and everyone was jumping up and down because music was playing and the guys were singing as they were making your falafel fantastic and by the way they killed during that time like they did crazy business during that time. You had witnesses. Yeah, there was multiple business owners that yeah. stayed open and said they did their best business that they've ever Good done. Good for them. In it, it, it maybe ever, and especially over the last two and a half years, which actually helped them during this difficult time when the government forced them not to do business, not take the handout. You had so it's total opposite of the narrative that they want to. Some witnesses claiming that Uber Eats stopped operating, and then you actually had Twitter exploding with all these people saying, "Well, if Uber Eats stopped operating, then why do I have this receipt, this proof of purchase?" Right? You, apparently, they didn't tell the Uber Eats driver not to bring me my food during the convoy. So it, it just inconsistent, unreliable testimony. You also have this here, the final two witnesses of the day. This is taken from, I believe, the Western Standard. The final two witnesses of the day were Ottawa City Councilors Matthew Fleury 
and Catherine McKenney. Flurry described the actions of the protesters towards Ottawa residents as microaggressions and described the trucks involved in the protest as weapons. For quote, but they weren't used quote, that way. They were oh, used great. that quote, way for us. There's absolutely no evidence that they were used in that way, right. mind you. But uh, for continue. us, this is what he says, Matthew Fleury. For us, <laughs> having the fi- I know it's. I mean, like I don't want to. I'm not going to say anything. We'll we'll leave it alone. <laughs> quote for us, having the physical truck on the street created a big weapon. Fleury claimed. Now. Does he feel the same way whenever he's walking the street that's full of cars? Every time as he crosses the street, does he have a panic attack because he's afraid that one of these weapons will go through a red light and, and devastate him? What a buffoon. They were weapons. I saw trucks on the street and they were weapons. Every time you see a car on this weapon, I'm going to weapons, weapons, and the only thing holding back all these weapons from killing me are the tiny red lights up on the posts. I, I, I wonder if the liberal, uh, the federal liberals have a, a, a buyback program for your vehicles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to confiscate all your automated weapons. He continues, there were a number of microaggressions, particularly in residential communities. When asked by the convoy lawyer Miller to define the word microaggression in glorious neo-Marxist fashion, Fleury refused to define the term in English despite using the term in English multiple times throughout his testimony. Fleury claimed that as a francophone, he would only be able to describe the nuance of the word microaggressions in French. All right, well... I'm glad that this is the counselor that they voted in, by the way, who can't properly define the words that he uses to speak against a peaceful, lawful protest. Next, you had McKenney, who's running for mayor and uses they, them pronouns. So clearly someone not to be trusted was unable. Listen to this. She was unable to provide. Sorry, they were unable. No. We're not going to play that game. She was unable to provide any evidence of particular acts of violence that had occurred during the protest and claims only to have heard about them. This contradicts public statement issued by McKenney during the protest that Ottawa residents were facing unprecedented violence and that the residents had been terrorized. She said that on Twitter during the convoy, but in her testimony said, oh, I only heard about claims of violence. I never actually saw any or heard some. So if these are the witnesses, if this is the best that the federal government can bring, this should be over. This should be, this should be like the last 20 minutes of My Cousin Vinny. Right, the first 20 minutes, the first hour and a half, you don't know. He's kind of bumbling about. But once he starts hitting it, boom, one after another, this should be over. This shouldn't last six weeks. There's your answer. Your answer is, we didn't see any violence. We didn't actually hear of any violence. The only violence that happened was us. Trucks are weapons. I still hear honking. Can I have my pacifier now so I can go back in the corner and color my book with my squishy and roll up listening to soft music in my like that that's what they, that's what they presented 
But from now it's our money, it's our tax dollars that are going to fund five more weeks of this kangaroo hearing, which is only going to show what we've known since January and February of this year. It was a wonderful yeah. Canada yeah. Day celebration that lasted three weeks long. <laughs> you know, I mean, you were on the ground. You have eyewitness testimony that... Uh, you, I was assaulted you, you with know, pizza to- because they kept saying, here, have pizza. That was That's how I was assaulted. <laughs> it was like, uh-oh, we have too many hats and hand warmers. We have all this coffee and hot chocolate. Look at all this food. Look Here, mm-hmm. please. That, that, they were saying, take more. That was the assault. Or the music was, you know, yeah. kind of loud while everyone was dancing around, having fun in the middle of the streets. Yeah, the invocation of this unprecedented emergency act for microaggressions and a general feeling of lawlessness, though you can't actually point to specific um, events uh, that would suggest that there was an unprecedented level of violence and terror taking place in Ottawa. Uh, that's not good enough. This is all just anecdotal, silly evidence. And I really, truly hope that we live in a country that despite all of the political polarization and all, all the nonsense that that is going on can see this for what it is. Um, because this is truly a sham. The The Emergencies Measure Act was always a sham, and it was political through and through. And I hope that we are going to get to see in, in the daylight the nonsense that took place to build this narrative and then react to a narrative that was manufactured, that was synthetically manufactured to then basically institute martial law against the group of political actors that you didn't like. That's what actually took place. And I think we're seeing that these um, lawyers for the federal government are scraping the bottom of the barrel to try and tug on the heartstrings of Canadian citizens while actually bringing forth no real substantive evidence of any mass terror or illegal violent behavior. So we'll be keeping our listeners and our viewers up to date as things kind of unfold from these hearings. Um, And we pray that, that the truth will come out in them and that, Justice will prevail in this situation and that the Trudeau government will be held to account for their unlawful declaration of the Emergencies Act in a political partisan way. Anyways, this has been a crazy program. We've covered so much and we thank you for giving us your eyes and ears for the day. We would suggest go over to our Rumble Channel, Liberty Coalition Canada. We have tons of great content over there. Past episodes that you're definitely not going to want to miss. We are covering in depth what's going on with Western and their continued mandates and how we're fighting back against them. So the last couple programs that Mike has done, one with James Kitchen, our our chief litigator here at LCC, and then another one with a whistleblower from Western, and also you Julie have to Finesse. watch so M- those Mike's open mic from this life. You, you have not seen open mic from this so past you can hear Saturday. The inside you scoop. need to go watch it. You need to watch the interview we did with the whistleblower and with Julie Panessi. 
and you need to share it with everyone you know so that we can see from the inside mm -hmm. what's going on and that at the very least there are some people that work at Western that are saying, I can't agree with this. This is this is total lawless, mm -hmm. unscientific garbage. You need to go watch that, that episode of Open Mic from a few days ago. Amen. So we thank you again for tuning in. We wish you Godspeed. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, direct them to us at info at libertycoalitioncanada.com. Once again, the question for today is what are your thoughts on the invocation of the emergency acts and the first couple days of the inquiry? We would love to hear from you. So leave those comments below the video. And also, as we say at the end of every podcast, we point to the freedom that we have in, the, in Christ, which leads to civic freedom as well. And that comes to us from Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Till next time. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com.